welcome to Talk of the Hound, a podcast from Theatre Hound. Theatre Hound is a new, unique theatre website launching this year, which looks at the art and business of theatre from a multitude of angles. I'm your host, Wes Braver, and I'm here to talk to all kinds of people whose work makes theatre so compelling today. It's a very special episode of Talk of the Hound that combines our love for theatre and our love for hounds. I'm talking to Bill Berloni. He's an American animal behaviorist, humanitarian, and author known for his training of rescue animals for stage, film, and television. He's a recipient of his very own special Tony Honors Award and was the star of Discovery Family Network's reality show From Wags to Riches in 2015. He started in 1977 with Annie when he was 19 years old and since then has trained most of the animals you'd see on Broadway and an extraordinary number of animals for film and television. Hi there, we're with Bill Verloni here. We're at the Humane Society of New York and we are in an exam room because Bill just got off a shift where he volunteers here. Bill, what, do you, what kind of services do you provide here? I've been their director of animal behavior for over 25 years now. And uh, usually once a week I come in and, and evaluate the dogs, the new ones, the old ones, set up training programs, and help guide them to the right homes. A quick note to say that since Bill is still on call here, you might hear some noise in the background every once in a while. This is something that you do on a weekly basis, on a a monthly basis? I, I would like to do it on a weekly basis um, when I'm in New York, when I'm not on tour. Oh, sure, sure. Um, but a lot of times I can do it remotely as well. And uh, But it's, you know, when I'm here, nobody knows that I'm a theatrical animal trainer. They just <laughs> think I'm the trainer. So it's a, it's a good respite from <laughs> the, the entertainment world sometimes. These dogs don't know that they're in the presence of a real a real force. You could you could make something happen for somebody. I, I could, and, and, <laughs> and the people who come to adopt them don't know that either. Interesting, so. interesting. Have you ever found an animal when you're working in the Humane Society and been like, this dog, this dog has got to be a star? I've, I've adopted probably four or five of them for okay, yeah. roles in Legally Blonde or Annie. Um, uh-huh. So, in fact, in the 2013 revival, the James Lapine revival, um, the dog that I adopted came through the shelter. Huh. Really cool. Um, well, let's go back and talk a little bit about um, how you got into being this animal trainer for theatrical productions. How early did that start for you? Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, it's, um, I'm an urban legend in East Haddam, Connecticut, where the Goodspeed Opera House is. Um, I, I'm... From Connecticut, and uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to be an actor. And instead of spending my summers after I graduated having fun, I wanted to learn about theater. So I applied and was accepted into the technical apprenticeship program at sure. the Goodspeed Opera House. This is in the mid '70s, where you know kids got to work for 70 hours a week for no money just to be around professionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was two of the best summers of my life. I learned a lot. But the second summer I was there, which was the summer of 1976. Um, was the year that, as part of their mission, they introduced a new musical, and that year it was the musical Annie. And after they had announced the season, uh, they realized that there was a live dog in it. And at the time, the executive director, Michael Price, found out that it was very expensive to hire dog trainers from New York. And so he went to all the paid staff members and said, somebody's got to train the dog, and they all threatened to quit because they weren't there to train dogs. So he needed someone, he, uh, I, I call myself the sucker, he needed the sucker. So I remember being called into his office and he offered me my equity card and a chance to be in one of the shows at good speed if I would find a train a dog for no money for the new show. Yeah. Now being 19 years old, 
Um, and starstruck, I of course said yes. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of days later that I realized the other half of the deal that I had to train the star. So, so I wasn't chosen because I had any skills. I didn't volunteer for the job. I just wanted my equity card. Um, and he gave me $35 to buy the dog and feed it all summer. So I heard there were cheap dogs at the animal shelter. And um, so one day I went uh, casting for medium-sized dogs of sandy color. And I had never been to an animal shelter. I had dogs growing up, but I had never been to an animal shelter. And I was profoundly moved that day, going to shelters and seeing animals in terrible conditions. And I ended up at the Connecticut Humane Society where um, I, saw, I found the original Sandy. And I was supposed to take a picture of him to get him uh, proved. And they said he was going to be put to sleep, and I didn't know what that meant. Um, and when they explained it to me, I said, could I put a deposit down? And I only had $3 and he was $7. So they didn't let me take the dog. And I ran back to the opera house and um, the director was not in town, Martin Chardin, the producer was not in town. And I was just in a state because I had met an animal and it was going to die if I didn't do something. And my roommate lent me the $4 and I went back the next morning to adopt this dog, not necessarily for the show, but just to save its life. Um, and, uh, but I remember thinking, when I grow up, if I ever get another dog, I'm going to adopt one. So I, it, that day changed my life. And when Martin Trinan met the original Sandy, he said he's perfect. And the show actually bombed, got very bad reviews at the Good Speed Opera House. And I had then been accepted into NYU's uh, acting program. I was going to study with Stella Adler. So Sandy and I moved to New York City mm -hmm. to be starving actors. And in the was, did Sandy ever get to go to classes? Or No. I, I, <laughs> I trained him as I trained my own dogs. My dogs followed me around, not on leashes, because they, they liked me. Mm -hmm. Basically, they liked being with me. So I thought if I could make Sandy think the theater was his home and the cast was his family, he would do the same thing my dogs would do. Right. Um, and then, you know, uh, Martin Charney called in the spring of 77, said they were doing the show for Broadway, would I be interested? Mm -hmm. um, and I said, sure, because, you know, I get a Broadway credit, and Annie opened in September 23rd, no, April 23rd, 1977, and I became a world-famous animal trainer at the age of 20. Annie opened on Broadway to great reviews and set the record for longest-running show at the Alvin Theater, now the Neil Simon. The book was by Thomas Meehan, the music was by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Martin Charnin, and also directed by Martin Charnin, but the critics' raves were especially for Sandy the dog. He was so memorable, in fact, that when he died years later, at the ripe old dog age of 16, the New York Times gave him an obituary and hailed him for having, quote, thrilled audiences for over 2,000 performances. And so the idea of taking an animal and making it into a character was somewhat new to the Broadway stage, and other shows started calling, and I recognized that I was much more talented as an animal trainer than an actor, so that was 27 Broadway shows ago. Yeah. Um, so I only used rescue animals, and it's, uh, it's been a wonderful life. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about this. Do, when that moment did happen where you said, it's going to be this and it's not going to be acting. Um, well, and, you know, like every young, talented person who wants to be a performer, there comes a moment of reality. So at the age of 20, I started looking around at the guys who were working, who were tall and handsome and could sing better and dance better than I could. And I thought, 
Yeah, I'm probably not this good. So I, ha I saved myself all that rejection. Um, and, uh, but again, I was doing something that was equally as exciting and important. I mean, my next show was Camelot, and I got to sit in the rehearsal room with Richard Burton, watching him reprise his role. You know, and Alan J. Lerner was there. So, I mean, it wasn't as if I was yeah. doing summer stock anymore. Right. Um, I was working with some of the most talented people in the theater. So immediately after Annie, it was it was a done deal. That was your rep was this is the guy who got Sandy for seven years. This to happen. Well, it wasn't immediate. It was it was probably two or three years later. You know, um, I was still hoping that I might get my chance on stage, and then sure. as I kept getting more and more gigs, I went. Now I think I'm good at this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And did it just start as dogs for a long time, or how soon did other animals start to get into the mix? My third show was production of Alice in Wonderland, starring Kate Burton, uh, directed by Eva Galleon, and it had a cat and a pig in it. So in was this the Cheshire Cat? Or just... Uh, no. Because um, the Cheshire Cat's a person, I assume. Person. <laughs> but no, lines. It, um, the story starts with Alice in her... A bedroom with a black kitten. Oh, sure, sure. So the play would start with the black kitten, and then when she returned home, the black kitten was with her. Uh -huh. And the pig, the baby that turns into the pig by the Queen of Hearts, I think. So, um, so no. Uh, so right away, I was doing some odd things. Yeah. Was this at the time something that you were thinking? It, could you en envision it as a career at the time when you were getting started? Like, were there other folks who? who did what, what you now do and are your regular on many shows. Um, I, I think more commercials is probably is more popular, but at the time, could you, could you see the path ahead? Well, not at all. I mean, imagine when I had to train my second Sandy. I, I was fearful that, was it just the dog yeah, or was, was it, it my yeah. skills? Huh. Um, and, Pretty much every time I do a show, I ask that same question. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. Uh, there were there were many trainers here in New York City who do films, commercials, and television, um, and like exclusively. Exclusively, they don't dabble in theater. Well, and it's not because they don't want to. It's because they don't seem to have the same skill set, which mm -hmm. is why I've been fortunate enough to be pretty much the only trainer who does this type of work, um, and. Uh, so I can go into theater, I can go into film and television, but uh, the trainers who have tried to come into theater are not that successful. Interesting. So because because they're pretty different skills, you imagine. What do you think that skill set is? The difference. I think the the basic skill set is I use positive reinforcement training instead of negative reinforcement training. So if the animal is happy and wants to go on stage every night, it will for a seven year run. Yeah. Um, but if you're forcing an animal to do anything, which is unfortunately the, the prevailing thought, um, the second you let go of an animal, it's gonna try to escape or not do it. Uh -huh. So uh, I think that it's just a basic philosophy. When you do, cause you do film and, and mm -hmm. TV and commercials mm -hmm. and all that stuff, you still use your positive reinforcement methods yes. in those disciplines. Why do you think that other people haven't caught on to that? Because uh, it's more labor-intensive. Interesting. Takes huh. a lot more time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm selective about the TV work I do because television and film, 
it's a very fast-paced business and if they're not going to allow me to rehearse the animals or prep the animals then I, I I'm not interested in doing it so but I, I, I have the luxury at this point to to choose to choose, choose. Yeah. Um, so it's a you know and the other aspect of it is there's no laws or unions protecting animals sure I was gonna say it's a lot like the kids but with kids there's so many laws yeah. of you've got to have an equity person there with handling them all the time well and it wasn't always that way <laughs> yeah, yeah listen during Andy <laughs> 1977. Oh, gosh, how young were the girl? How young was she? Andrea was 12, going oh to 13. Yeah. Andrea McArdle was the original Annie on Broadway. There were no um, child wranglers. They, they were just left in the dressing room, and the dressers had to take care of them. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and, and they would... So it's, it's, been, it's fantastic that, that that has been addressed. And yeah. hopefully at some point the animal issue will be as well. But you have to be an advocate for your animal's welfare. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to say no to a director or producer and not get hired by them again. But ultimately, that's what every we should be their advocates. And so, totally. um, I have many stories of saying no, no and um, it's okay. I sleep very well at night. Yeah. How many? Uh, just out of curiosity, how many other animal trainers do you think there are in, say, New York City doing this full time? Doing theater or film, commercial. I mean, theater is probably you and who are there others? There's a there's a, a woman uh, who did um, Curious Incident. Oh great, yeah. Um, she, uh, and then she did uh, the Goat in Once on This Island. Uh huh. Um, but she's local in New York, and she doesn't have the expenses that we do, so she's much more inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So that's a factor too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's uh, seven or eight animal training agencies who do films here in New York, at least. And those would, are groups of people, they're not individual handlers? Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, uh, for my film division, I, re- I have 30 dogs, mm-hmm. but I represent other trainers who have trained dogs, and then I'll bring them on set and I'll rep them and I'll guide them how to do it, and then I split the fee. So they're, they're like talent agencies. Sure. Um, but... I'm probably the only agency who has a trainer who's actually running the agency. Um, so interesting. Huh. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, in the actual practice of doing it, what, what are the, like, the biggest challenges, the biggest hurdles? Obviously, you're saying that it's very time intensive. So the first hurdle is making sure the director and the producers know this is an investment. You know, you got, you've got to get right. into it. But beyond that, what are the day-to-day challenges of, of doing it, would you say? Um, the day-to-day stuff is actually less, um, it's actually pretty easy. Um, you know, it takes me a year to get a dog, train it and get it stage worthy. And many times there is not that much lead time, yeah. you know, uh, to do it. Uh, for example, the Crucible. Um, I tr- they this was a wolf me, dog, right? They called yeah. me in September for you know, a December opening, and uh, it, it's illegal to have wolves or wolf hybrids, and so the, the story of finding that dog, you know, there was one dog in, in Romania, and there was one dog in Seattle that we could use, and I chose the one in Seattle, but the day I met him, he tried to bite me, yeah. and, you know, taking, So this can be a long process. So, and I had 12 weeks. Oh so, my gosh. Um, 
So and you said you normally want a year. Yeah. Oh, um. The dog's wolfen walk-on lasts less than a minute, but left audiences impressed. The New York Daily News interviewed audience members who said that a hush fell over the audience when it appeared and that you could hear audible gasps. Sometimes uh, the producers want me on the show and the director may not be interested in working the way that I work. And so you no. have to, again, negotiate that. And is that usually about pace? <sighs> um, they would like to find somebody faster? It's usually about... A director has a vision and a, a writer has a vision of what they want to see on stage. But they've never trained a dog. So I have to come in and say, this is what you can do. Yeah, the realities. And some artistic people don't like to be told what to do by animal trainers. Yeah. So there's some friction, <laughs> you know, and then I go to the producer, well then hire somebody else. I, you know, I mean, so there's this, um, but you know, the, the Martin Charnings, the, the James the Pines, the Susan Stromans, I mean, they're all wonderful people and great to collaborate with. Um, the third aspect of it is as many times as I tell them that you have to hire people who have a dog. I can't tell you how many times I've shown up to the first day of rehearsal and someone says to me, oh, uh, you know, you're going to work with me. I hear you love dogs. Oh, I love dogs. Do you have a dog? No, but I love dogs. And not there's, the same thing right yeah. there's a skill set in the positive reinforcement method of training in which you have to create a bond the actor has to create a bond with the dog mm -hmm. and if you don't understand what that means I can't teach that mm -hmm. in eight weeks mm -hmm. so if the actor doesn't have that bond it becomes a performance about roast beef in someone's pocket yeah. and then I hear well can't the dog look into the person's eyes I'm like nope you know but those are things I say in the beginning, hire actors who are working with animals, who are good with animals or have animals. And oftentimes, I've had, I've had actors who are allergic to animals. And Somebody like, was not thinking on that team. <laughs> and somehow it becomes my problem. Yeah, that's you the know? thing. So, I mean, yeah. so whether it's the time commitment to get a dog ready or the artistic vision of the show or the casting, um, and then the day-to-day -day running, you know. Uh, dogs love patterns, and people are not good at patterns. <laughs> They're often distracted, and if they don't give the right cue, the dog can't go, oh, I'll cover for you. They'll miss their cue. And the yeah. They're not going to improvise, yeah. even. Yeah. The production report will say, the dog didn't jump up tonight. But it won't say, the actor didn't give the right cue, which is why the dog didn't. I mean, so, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I can see how frustrating that must be. Which is why uh, I was so fortunate my first show was with children. Because children love to play. Yeah. They love to do that stuff. You get an adult actor who has other things on their minds, and it's a little hard to keep them focused on hmm. uh, being with hmm. an animal. Hmm. Would you say that most of the time the... The what do you, what do you call it? The cue or the, the... Is that what you would call it? Yeah. An animal cue... Um, when that fails to go off, would you say most of the time that's an actor error, perhaps? Yes. yes. Yeah, interesting. Um, or some other distraction in the, in the environment. Sure. You know, if you have a cookie in your pocket, the animal's going to look at it until yeah. a door slams. <laughs> or, you know, um, you turn the wrong way. Or, as in the case of Legally Blonde the Musical, 
one night, Bruiser went out on stage for his first cue, and I saw him go to the edge of the stage. It's the and, little bulldog. No, the little chihuahua. Oh, the little chihuahua. And Anna Lee Ashford went and picked him up, and he had never done that. He had never miscued, and when she came off stage, I said, what happened? There were people in the front row eating fried chicken. Oh, my God. Because it, it, it was a show after the 7th Avenue you know, fair, and they just brought their food, and they were in the front <laughs> row of the Palace Theater. So, I mean... <laughs> Live theater, baby, yeah. you know? <laughs> Anna Lee has a little cookie, and there's fried chicken in the front Yeah, no. Simple I choice. know where I'd go. Yeah. Um, that's really funny. What are, what are some of those things you said earlier that directors or writers might sometimes have in their mind of what a dog or an animal could do in a performance, and you have to be the realist to go in there and say, can't really do that. What are some of those requests that you get, we want the dog to do X or Y, and you're like, they don't. They're not going to do that. Well... There's there's so many of them. Uh, going back to the Crucible, as brilliant as Ivo van Hove was with that cue, after they asked me to do it, they told me it was a box set. So there was no way for, for me to cue the dog to go out on stage, hit center, look at the audience and run off. Huh. And so then you have to go back to the scenic design. So you're saying there's walls around it, yes. so there's no way for you to be off stage. Right. Holding for... Yeah, <laughs> comes. Okay. So there, you know, on on stage right, there were some windows, and I remember in a conversation saying to Evo, "I'll need the window open." You know. So you know, but when we got to tech rehearsal, Evo was like, "No, the window has to be closed." I'm like, "But <laughs> but he won't listen to me. Yeah. Why?" And I was like, "Because." Images behind glass are televisions, and they know they're not real, so animals can't conceive that I'm huh. there. Yeah. And in reality, so we had to cut a hole in the set, which became a whole thing. Of course. You know? But so things like that, you know, uh, whether leaving the window open would have ruined that moment or cutting a hole in the set. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like it mm -hmm. became an issue. But um, and that was just for. If I recall, the the wolf or the the dog that was yeah. supposed to look like the yeah. wolf comes to center stage, stops, dramatic pause, right. and keeps walking, right? And then exits. And then exits, right? And even that cue right. required we have to have, we have to cut a wall hole right. in the set. Well, so I imagine tons of requests are much harder than that. Yeah, and yeah, uh, <laughs> or you know sometimes you. We have to build a special uh, um, piece of equipment or a hiding place or that sort of stuff. Because um, the goal is, I'll try to accommodate you if you, if I, you know. If you're making an effort. Right, <laughs> right. Huh. Are you, are you there for a lot of these shows every single night? Um, or when you I wish I was. I miss running shows. I mean, my gift, as, as crazy as it sounds, is that I, I sort of can understand what animals are thinking and saying. And I know what theater directors want, and somehow I can make that vision come together sure. and make it happen eight times a week. And once it's set, then I put my handlers in so I can go on to the next one and design gotcha. the next show. So that's pretty much my role now is uh, huh. creating these behaviors and these things and then moving on to the next one. Interesting. So starting with dogs, um, you had to do the odd snake gig every once in a while. When you started to work with other kind of animals, did you start to look into, I don't know, reading about or pursuing, uh, you know, how, what, what was your higher education of sorts 
with expanding your palette of of animals to work with? Um, well, I I had never read a book on dog training, and um, so I didn't consider myself an, an expert in any type of training. So when I did start getting requests for other things um, outside of a cat, or um, I started going to other trainers who are specialized in that field. Mm -hmm. and, Corporate policy as a personal rule, I've never done exotic animals. Mm -hmm. I only do things that have been domesticated, you know, sort of genetically altered to work with man. So farm animals, um, things you'd find in a pet shop. Um, and even then, uh, I have horse people who are experts in horses. I have a herpetologist who does reptiles. Mm -hmm. I have a raptor person who does raptors. Mm -hmm. So. Um, again, I'm just the representative. I run the set and I set it up, but I leave the animal care to the experts. And those were never for theater, those, the exotics? No, I mean, again, we've done pigs, sheep, cats, pigeons. There were some geese for ferrymen, right? Yes, I did the geese for ferrymen <laughs> uh, and, the, and the bunny. But uh, that's about as exotic as it gets on Broadway. And in the season off Broadway, I'm doing... Uh, a goat for a play at the Atlantic and a bunny for a play down at New York Theatre Workshop. Hmm. So, what does the bunny have to do? Be carried on <laughs> and put in a cage. So that's just making sure everybody's comfortable with it, the actors, the, um, and the bunny is, is going to be okay and not yeah, freak I mean, out? It, that's the hard part because um, rabbits will bite you uh, yeah. and they have to be Acclimated, they have to be raised with humans to be uh, desensitized to that. Sure. So uh, whether like for the bunnies that were in Ferryman, we got as little kits, little babies, and mm -hmm. hand raised them. Hmm. Um, and uh, or you know sometimes I'll I'll use rabbits that are go to four H fairs because they travel and they're handled a lot. But so but it really it, yeah it really comes down to picking the right animal. Hmm. Interesting. So those are the two projects to go with the rabbit right now. Um, and then uh, a play at um, Roundabout uh, called Darling Grenadine, which is a new musical we've been working on. Oh, musical. Yeah. Huh. So those are the three New York projects right now for <laughs> the summer, spring. I'm not summer, winter and spring. Very cool. And that's in addition to film, commercial, TV work. Very cool. Um, is there anything that you haven't done yet an animal that you haven't worked with a particular uh you know do, do you ever find yourself getting creative about like oh i wish they would have they would ask me to you know like even just as a challenge or just as a creative endeavor to be like what if somebody wrote a dog to do this i think i could make that happen do you ever wonder about that um i did and then i went for it yeah uh, 20 years ago, literally, I said to my wife, you know, Sandy's on stage for seven minutes, eight minutes, and he's, he gets all this attention. What if, I know I could train a dog to be a star of a show. Huh. You know, what are they going to do, Lassie the musical yeah. or Benji the musical? And, and my <laughs> wife, Dorothy, said, well, let's do it ourselves. So she got the rights to the book because of Winn-Dixie. Uh-huh. And it's, over the last 18 years, we created a musical in which the dog is the star. We've done four out-of-town tryouts. Uh, the book is by um, Nell Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Book and lyrics by Nell Benjamin. The score is by Duncan Cheek. We did our... our uh, this summer at the Goodspeed Opera House, I went back and did a very successful run, and John Rando directed it. So 
in that show, the dog has 115 cues and uh, is on stage for two hours and 10 minutes. Oh my God. And when you compare that to Annie, where the dog had 12 cues and was on stage for nine minutes or eight minutes, um, that was the, the dream. Could I take an animal and make, make create a show in which we thought we were seeing a real animal actor? And we did. Um, so we're looking for a New York audience. Amazing. So uh, that's that's the culmination of the dream. Yeah. You know? And even if it doesn't happen on Broadway, I've done it. And uh, we did it in four different places. And got great reviews. Got great reviews. Yeah. And sold out houses. So yeah, of course. That's That was the thing that I really wanted to see if I could make happen. Because it's been done in film. So it was never done on the live stage. Yeah. Yeah. What was that process like? Was that extremely challenging? Uh, I mean, obviously the scale is much greater than your other projects, but was it sort of a similar process? It was, no, in, in, because in this particular process, we had to w find collaborators who liked dogs and be willing to collaborate with us. And uh, because everything had to be written from what a dog could do. So it, I am credited as the animal director. Um, so it was a very unique, creative thing where I wasn't just sitting on the sidelines until they needed me and then telling them, you know, we, there were so many meetings and trials and workshops and so that Nell could understand what could be done and, you know, huh. and John Rando could understand what could we do eight times a week, you know, with a child that was 12 years old. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, so it was a very different process in that, uh, I was, they had to ask the dog question first before they wrote anything. <laughs> sure. So that's so interesting. So you got you were involved. I mean, you were one of the conceivers, even. Yeah. Uh, is it Win Dixie the only dog character in the show? Yes. And well, yeah, that's probably there was a there, there is a pet shop scene. Um, oh, huh. And we in one of the out of town tryouts, we populated the pet shop, um, and we found that we were looking at all the other animals and not the action. Mm -hmm. And the one great thing, the whole thing is, you know, when you put an animal on stage, it, it brings a different feeling to the piece. Um, you know, because when we go to the theater, we suspend disbelief. We know everybody's, they're not really dying. They're not yeah. really in love. They're... But then an animal comes on stage and you go, wait a minute. What, what? You don't know what that animal's going to do. And you know that it's live and you know that it could jump off stage. So it brings a different danger and to to watching a piece and I just thought if we if we could take that feeling and put it next to every bit of action mm -hmm. then it would also bring the audience into following the action closer yeah um, and it was highly successful That's you know, we didn't know if it was going to upstage the action but it actually we found a way to keep the dog exactly where the action is happening and it huh. so your, your eyes never strayed and this is during a musical. So a musical. if they're on stage for two hours, tons of songs, dances happening, I'm assuming, around the dog. Um, yep. Huh. That's, that's so, um Because of when Dixie got rave reviews in its production at the Good Speed Opera House, the Variety Review, in fact, said that Bodie pretty much carries the show with natural charisma and a big lug of a face that's impossible not to love. Well, I really hope it comes from Broadway. If not, I have a really harebrained idea, mm -hmm. which is Dr. Doolittle starring the man himself. There you go. What do you think? Um, 
They've already done it, and I didn't get asked. <laughs> but if they do it on stage, man, who are they going to no, go to? No, they did it on stage. Oh, they did? Dr. Doolittle on stage? Tommy Toon did it. Um, oh my god, I didn't even know this. Yes, and they, the animals were all puppets. Well, that's just lazy. And, it, and it, I think it closed in Atlanta. It never, it never got... We'll get you past Atlanta, but I want you in the starring role. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, that was... Uh, I was hoping for that one because now I was trying to think how do we do the two-headed llama? <laughs> so, Get two llamas, one cloak over the yeah. body. Good, 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 good. Have you worked with llamas before? I had llamas. Um, and they never once right. got a job. I had them for 20 years and never got a job. You got them hoping somebody might come along and say, hey, we, we need a llama. No, actually it's a better story than that. Um, I was dating my wife, Dorothy, and she asked me one day, if I ever could have any animal, what animal would I had? And back in the 70s, there used to be a guy who used to walk through Times Square with a llama and go to all the intermissions. And I remember that. Oh, it was so cute. So I said a llama. And for my birthday, she got me two llamas. Um, and two months later, I asked her to marry me. So, <laughs> um, so the llamas were in our wedding. Um, and um, they lived like 21 years. Wow. And never once a job. Wow. All right. Well, here's to more llama work out there, everybody. Mm. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> and that's Talk of the Hound. If you're interested more in Bill's incredible work, you can check out one of his books, uh, Sandy, Autobiography of a Star, or Broadway Tales. Or you can check out Theater Hound's Facebook page for a link to an incredible documentary feature called Theatrical Animals, created by the American Theater Wing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>